Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. Uh, this is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues of ministry leadership. Each week on the podcast, we talk about uh, different aspects of what it means to be more effective in Christian leadership in ministry organizations and churches. And for, for the past three weeks, and including this one makes four weeks, I've been talking about uh, the issue of leading major change in a ministry organization. My new book on that same subject by that same title has recently come out, and I'm hopeful that the book will uh, be a guide and a motivation and really in some sense an inspiration for leaders who are faced with the challenge of leading major change in ministry organizations. Uh, In about half the book, I lay out a model for leading major change, and uh, that's far too much material to try to include in one podcast, but I'd like to just pick out a few highlights from the first part of the model and uh, whet your appetite a bit for what it means to really approach major change in sort of a systematic way of thinking through uh, the different components of what have to be in place for major change to be successful. So let's begin with uh, this key point. Major change begins with direction from God. Now... There's really no question but that ministry leaders want to find and follow God's will. We often talk about that in terms of our personal uh, lives and decision-making. We want to find and follow God's will and do what He wants for us. Uh, That's a good thing, but it takes a different kind of spiritual discipline and process to find and follow God's will for an organization. You're making a decision that affects employees or perhaps students or church members. And so it's vital that you, <clears throat> that you use a process uh, by which you can come to really understand uh, God's will for an organization. Now, I want to counsel you against the, what I call the Moses on the mountain model. And that is where, as a leader, you go off to a remote place, you pray, you think, you strategize, you write, and you come back and you announce to people, this is what God has said and this is what we're going to do. Certainly, there's a need for a leader to go away and pray and write and think and, and process and come back and say, this is the direction I believe God is leading us. But I think organizational decision-making requires some participation and input from the community, particularly from a leadership team that may be charged with the responsibility of charting the future and from a, for, a, from, for a board or other uh, a group of authorities who may be responsible for making the actual decision. You know, there are models in the New Testament for uh, decision-making that I think are, are for discerning God's direction about decision-making that I think are very helpful. Uh, you can look at some of those throughout the book of Acts, like, for example, uh, the replacing Judas uh, meeting in Acts chapter 1, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And the podcast today just doesn't allow enough time for me to go through these stories in detail. But there are some patterns that are found in these stories and some other New Testament stories of how groups come together to make decisions or groups come together to discern God's will that I think are important. Uh, let me just mention the principles that come out of these stories rather than try to go into them in detail. First of all, Uh, God speaks through his word. God speaks at least two ways. He speaks devotionally and he speaks directionally. Now, when I say that God speaks devotionally, I mean that leaders should be reading scripture for themselves and reading scripture as a group so that God can continually work to bring alignment to our thinking around his word. That's devotionally. 
then God also speaks directionally. And that is God speaks from his word about his mission, about the mission of his church, and about the mission of organizations that serve his church and his mission. And where God speaks clearly about his mission or about how others relate to his mission, we can discern from that instruction uh, some guidance about what he wants us to do in our organizations. True, there was never a verse in the Bible that said, move the seminary. <laughs> but there were ample verses in the Bible about God's mission, about God, good stewardship, about uh, unified decision-making, about the task of teaching and making disciples. And as we brought all of that together, we could come to a clear understanding of what he wanted us to do. So God speaks through his word. It's important for you to be reading his word devotionally. It's important for you to be looking into his word for directions or to, reading it, or to read it directionally that you might gain insight into what he wants you to do. Second, God guides through prayer. Uh, leaders should pray, certainly, but they should also make known the leadership dilemma as much as possible to their followers. Now, I realize that it's not always possible to share all details of all aspects of a major decision that you're considering, but there are certainly some that can be shared, and if nothing else, uh, certainly the fact that major decisions are under consideration uh, can be shared and people can be asked to pray about those. For example, when we move the seminary, it was really hard for people who came to work every day or who came to class every week to miss the protesters that were on the streets in front of our campus protesting our future development. People knew something was going on and they knew something had to be done. And so it was easy to call them to prayer, not so much about the specifics of relocating the seminary, but about the situation we were facing. But not only must leaders pray and call their followers to pray, but leaders must also pray with key decision makers together for God's guidance. In the context of praying together, God has a way of bringing about a unity that can only be achieved through prayer. One of the things that really marked the seminary's process of relocating was a prayer meeting that was called by the Board of Trustees several years ago. Uh, we actually set aside a block of time in a board meeting to pray about the future direction of our school. Uh, we set up prayer stations, people moved around and prayed with different vice presidents and with different people that were involved in the process. Trustees prayed individually, they prayed in small groups, they, they laid hands on some of us and prayed over us. It was a guided prayer time that really made a significant difference in bringing us together in unity and then knowing that we had asked for, that we would receive God's direction uh, on us. So God guides through his word, and or God speaks through his word and God guides through prayer. And then God directs by the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit played a prominent role throughout the book of Acts, and you can see it in these stories I've referenced and in others, in leading a church, the church to make good decisions. Um, it's important for people in leadership to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to come into their lives uh, in a powerful way to give leadership, guidance, direction. Ephesians 5.18 says we're to be filled with the Spirit, and that word means to be controlled by or to be directed by. And so uh, part of what it means to be open to the Holy Spirit is to pray and seek and ask for that filling, that guiding, that directing to take place. Don't overcomplicate this. Sometimes I think we uh, make this far too difficult. What we simply have to do is pray trust, and then move forward, believing that in the right moments and in the right ways, the Holy Spirit will work in our lives. So God guides uh, through prayer, and, or through his word, through prayer, and through the Holy Spirit. And then, particularly as it relates to major 
major change. God also leads through what I call a signal event. S-I-G-N-A-L, a signal event. In my experience of leading major change, God has always brought about something that motivated both me and the group to understand it was time for the change to take place. Now, what are some characteristics of signal events? Well, they happen unexpectedly. They're beyond what can be caused by any person or group. Uh, They motivate and unify because everyone sees God at work. They accelerate the pace uh, of the change and indicate that it's time to move forward. And they really strengthen the faith of the followers. Uh, Let me give you just one example. When we were considering relocating the church in my first pastorate, there had been a lot of discussion and, and uh, frankly, a lot of tension about this issue. But finally, the leadership of the church agreed that it would be appropriate for us to send out a search committee, if you will, to look at the land available around us and determine if there was any option, really, for our church to consider in relocating. Now, that group was to be elected on a Wednesday night. The previous Saturday, a few days before, uh, one of the men of our church stopped by a local real estate office and told them, about the possibility that our church might relocate and wondered if they had any land in the vicinity that might be for sale. Uh, the, the, the person that he talked with was kind of startled and said, you're, you're not going to believe this, but I think I have the perfect piece of property for you. And he rolled out a piece of uh, a, 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 a drawing that had a plat for uh, 10 acres of property that was, that was uh, platted for 29 residential lots. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to build these houses. I, the market's changed. I don't really think I, I, I can do this effectively. I, I think this land could be better used for something else. And, and if your church wants it, I'll sell it to you for what I paid for it, which was at the time only $84,000. That was an astounding moment in the life of our church. That, that person rolled up the paper, came to my house, and showed me what he had just discovered and we sat there looking at each other thinking this is unbelievable so the following Wednesday night the committee was elected and we went into a room to get organized so we could start our meetings and I said listen before we go any further um, we need to tell you a story and so this other man that had gone by the real estate office uh, told the story and and uh, laid out for them what he what he had discovered and what was possible and how this property just uh, less than a mile from our current location but at the corner of two four lanes was perfect for our church When he finished telling the story, uh, one of the men on our group, a banker, just said, well, this search is over. It's obvious God wants us to do this. This is unbelievable. And actually, although we did do some due diligence and some searching for some other locations and some consideration of other options, within just a few weeks, we came back to the church and told them the story I've just told you. And when the church heard it, there was this immediate acclamation of unbelievable uh, uh, excitement that God had done this for our church. It's a signal event. Um, After months and months and months and months and months of consideration and turmoil and discussion and not knowing what to do and being unsure of the future, in a moment, God delivered us to unity, to focus, and to determination to get this project done because of this signal event that he allowed to happen. Uh, I could go on and on with these stories. We had signal events that happened in the Pacific Northwest with the convention. We had them that happened with the seminary. Um, every single time that I've been preparing to lead a major event, God has, if you want to say it this way, finalized the deal or clinched the deal or given us the clarity of direction by providing some kind of signal event. Well, God not only does all these things, but he also communicates through people 
uh, to finalize a major decision like this. And I think there's two, there's a, a particular group that we want to, or two particular groups that we want to look to. First, God works through our colleagues, which are our ministry peers. When we're praying and we're looking into his word and we're asking for the Spirit's guidance and we're considering whether something is a signal event or not, um, the ministry leadership team is vital at this particular point. Um, a, a group of colleagues, a group of peers, a group of people who've banded together, like in the seminary's case, it's the executive leadership team. In most churches, it's either like deacons or elders, but some group that comes together and says, this is what we're going to do. A good group decision uh, makes such a tremendous impact. Uh, it, it, creates, it, it, it helps to create and finalize ideas and options. It edits out the bad ideas. It focuses on the good ideas. It, it helps to resolve the private objections so that when those later become public objections, the answers are in hand. Um, it gives greater gravitas to a decision because when the, leader, when the followers see that a whole group of leaders are committed to something, it causes them to have more confidence in the decision. Proverbs says that a group has greater wisdom than any individual. I mean, there's so many reasons why a group coming together uh, makes the best decisions and colleagues can confirm uh, all these different impulses I've been talking about, the word, the, 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 the spirit, prayer, the signal events. Colleagues can come together and say, yes, this is what God is saying better than one person can. And then a second group are your, what I call your authorities. And that's the people who have the ultimate opportunity to make the decision. In, case, in our case, it was a board. and Again, most churches, it's a, uh, an elder group or a deacon group. But in some way, the authorities who have the final responsibility to make the decision have to be trusted to make the right one. So major change begins with God's initiative. How do we discern God's direction? Well, through uh, the Word, through prayer, through trusting and asking for the Spirit's guidance, and then looking for a signal event. And how can we confirm all those things are happening with us? Well, we do that by consulting colleagues and coming to a group, a group decision about what God is leading us to do and then trusting authorities, the people that ultimately have the responsibility under God to make the final decision, that they will make the decision that is in response to God's initiative. So major change starts with initiative from God, but with direction from God. And then second, major change requires initiative from a leader. Now, in the Bible... Every time I can identify that God wants to do something new, he always starts with getting a leader. Uh, he picks Abraham, Moses, Nehemiah, Peter, Paul. He always gets the leader first, and then the strategy or the, or the, or the change comes second. Leaders always come before strategy. Now, you may say, yeah, but, God, you, but God's leaders are flawed, and, and God's uh, leaders have weaknesses, and, and I understand all of that. But God still chooses leaders first, and then through them, works to accomplish the changes or the strategies that he wants put into place. It's interesting that God has a unique capacity to pick the right person for the right time in a church or organization's leadership. Uh, you know, when I came to Gateway Seminary, uh, I had no idea that I would ultimately relocate the seminary, but I do have to say that when I first came to Gateway Seminary, the Board of Trustees told me in 2004, you will have to solve the land development issue during your presidency. Uh, I didn't know what that solution would be, but I knew I would have to solve it. It was interesting to me that I had in my past uh, relocated a church. I had built a church campus. I had relocated a, a convention and seminary in the Pacific Northwest. I had all of these different experiences of land development and building and uh, changing locations. And all of that came to bear when I came to lead the seminary. 
God had a remarkable way of training me over the years while also using me to accomplish his purpose in past organizations to get me ready for what he wanted to do through me in this context. So God uses uh, flawed people, he uses weak people, but he still uses people by choosing leaders and putting them in place, and he has an uncanny ability to put the right person in the right place at the right time for the change that an organization needs to go through. Uh, I would also say that God always, in choosing leaders, uh, emphasizes character over skills and experience over uh, uh, character over spill, over skills, and that He uses these experiences we've had to shape our future usefulness. God obviously wants to choose people who are competent and trained. Uh, I certainly believe in that. That's why I'm a seminary president. I think that that, uh, training does improve competence, and I think uh, learning uh, new insights and learning new information does make us better leaders. But God always chooses character over skill because skill can be learned, but character is much deeper and will influence the way decisions are made and will influence the kind of decisions that are made. And so it's important when you're thinking about your own responsibility for leading major change that you focus on leadership development, excuse me, focus on character development, focus on becoming the person you need to be, and at the same time develop your skills along the way, but recognize that God wants to use you as who you are in the context where he places you, and that your character will make a huge difference in how he's able to do that. Now, your character also relates to your experiences that you've had in the past, which, as I've said, shapes your usefulness in the present. God has a capacity uh, to both use us and shape us in the past so he can use us and continue to shape us in the future. So you may say, well, you know, I'm a leader, but I'm not sure I'm able to lead major change. I'm not sure I really have what it takes. Well, let me assure you that while you're flawed and weak, God has placed you in your leadership role, and he wants to depend on the character you have and the usefulness that he's placed in you by the experiences he's given you to bring you to the place where you can lead your organization through the change it needs to go through right now. You know, when I came to the seminary, I, I told the board, I, I'm not the best president. I, I'm, not the, I'm not ever going to be the, 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 uh, the, the, the president that, uh, I'm not ever going to be the, the best seminary president in the world, but I'm going to be the best president I can be for you. And I'm not going to have all the talents that all the other presidents may have, but I've got a few talents that I can bring to the table and offer to you. And so I'm going to do everything I can with what I have, where God has placed me, believing that God wants what I have right now in this organization. And that when he doesn't need me in this organization any longer, he'll transition me to something else where my gifts can be better used and where he can train me for even future service in that context. So don't be reluctant. If you're a leader, you can lead major change. And then I would simply say, if you're in the leadership role, leaders lead. A few years ago, um, a graduate of the Naval Academy who had been a Navy officer for a number of years uh, was talking to me about leadership and about Christian leadership. He had also been to seminary and had a remarkable ministry uh, impact and combined all of his leadership training to do some amazing things. So we were talking one day, and I said, well, you know, kind of what are some of the basics you've learned about Christian leadership? And he said, well, number one, when in command, command. And what he meant was when you're in leadership, lead. Uh, Take initiative. Do what needs to be done. Step forward. Stand up. When When you're in the lead, lead. When you're in command, command. When you're supposed to take responsibility and initiative, take it. And so if you're wondering, should I lead major change? Can I lead major change? Listen, if God has placed you in a significant leadership role, get busy. He wants you to lead. Now, there's some things that cause us to be shy about this or to be reticent about this. First, of course, we're afraid of failing. 
Failure is always an option, and we don't want to fail, but it can happen, so we, we're reluctant to lead major change. Another one is dreading conflict. Oh, we know major change will perhaps bring about conflict or tension or difficulty, and we don't want to do it because of that, but you know what? That's no excuse. You have to lead through conflict, just as we've talked about in previous podcasts. Another reason that some people don't want to lead major change is because uh, of the personal cost. You say, well, I just don't want to pay the price myself. I don't want the I don't want the sleepless nights. I don't want the burden of responsibility. I don't want uh, you know people uh, blaming me if something goes wrong. Well, I understand all that, but the reality is, if you're in leadership, uh, you have to lead and you have to pay a personal cost to get that done. It's going to take your time. It's going to take your energy. It may take your vitality. It may cost you some money, uh, but leadership means that you have to pay the price. It's it's all about being willing to take risks, and I know that's difficult, but leaders have to be willing to take the risks necessary to advance their organization forward in accomplishing its mission. Now, leaders, or excuse me, leading major change begins with God's direction. We've already established that. But secondarily, it requires the initiative of a leader. It requires someone who will step into the gap and say, I'm here, I'm responsible, and I will lead us forward, including the major change we have to make. Trust God that he's placed you where he wants you. He can use you to do what he can only do through you, that he's given you the necessary strength of character to get the job done and the experiences in your past to guarantee your future or your present and future usefulness, and that somehow God will help you to develop the skills along the way to get the job done. Don't, don't be reticent. If you're in the lead, lead. If you've been given responsibility, take it. If you're expected to ha- show initiative, show it. Stand up. Step forward. Be the leader that God has called you to be. Well, major change begins with God's direction and depends on the initiative of a leader. But then third, and this is a, maybe a fresh idea for you, so stay with me. Major change is actually accomplished by followers. Now, there are so many leadership books out there today and so many leadership seminars and conferences that it's easy to think that major change is actually dependent on the leaders. But really, it's accomplished by the followers. Followers are the ones who actually get the work done. Followers do the work. Followers are the ones who give the money. Followers are the ones who who, who, uh, provide the services. Followers are the ones who do everything necessary to fulfill the change that the leaders have proposed or even adopted. Now, what should you do to help you to help remember this? Well, the, 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 it's important for you to put yourself in your followers' shoes. Learn from, to see major change from their perspective. You know, as I said in the last podcast, when our uh, pastor once proposed a major building project, my first thought was, well, there goes my vacation money. You know, I don't have just lots of extra money lying around that I can give to a church building program. So if I'm going to give to that, I have to take it away from something else. And so my first response, not my last response and not my best response, but my first response was to think, what's this going to cost me? So when you propose a major change, before you do so, put yourself in your followers' shoes. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't propose the major change because that's your responsibility is to lead forward, make things happen, take the initiative. I've already said all that. But you'll do it better if you can place yourself in your followers' shoes and ask yourself, how will they hear this? How will they respond to this? What do I need to do to help them to to assimilate the transition I'm about to put them in and to help them to implement the change I'm asking for this? You know, it's possible as a leader to be too absorbed 
with the positive aspects of the change and forget the process that you yourself have been through in getting to the point where you announce the major change. For example, when I announced the seminary was relocating, I had been working on that for almost a year, just on the relocation and the, and the sale agreement. And a year before that, I'd been working on the possibilities and options. And so by the time that I made the announcement, I had processed through all the negative, uh, dealt with all the possibilities, considered all the options, and I was ready to move forward. And I was very positive about that decision and about what it would mean for our seminary and for our future. On the other hand, my followers had done none of that. So it helped me to put myself in their shoes and understand what they were going to go through and how they were going to hear what I was going to announce and to, by doing so, develop a series of strategies like we talked about in the last podcast to manage the transition that my followers had to go through in order to implement the change that was being proposed. So in order to do this, uh, what is it that followers really need from you as a leader in order to implement a major change successfully? Well, I'll just mention two or three things. First, they need clear and consistent communication about the change. Not just the rollout, not just that one or two page explanation, not just the brochure, not just the website, but they need clear and consistent communication throughout the process. Clear and consistent communication counteracts fear and anxiety, and it helps to implement the, the, the adjustments to the change that are needed and give confidence to the followers that the leaders are responding to the situation as, as it dynamically unfolds and being honest about both the good and the bad sides of the change as it's being implemented. Now, this can be done through a variety of ways, but primarily it's done today through electronic communication, uh, through uh, newsletters, through uh, emails, through updated uh, websites, and through occasional meetings and discussion groups where people have the opportunity to ask questions and get immediate feedback on their concerns. So clear, consistent communication is vital for followers as they try to implement a major change. Second, followers need the resources to get the job done. Uh, and I'll summarize these in three brief categories. First, followers need adequate time to get the job done. A, a major change usually takes two to five years to put into effect. Followers need to know that they have that much time and you're going to work with them over that length of time to get it fully implemented. They also need what I call tracks, which are paths that they can go on to get to the successful conclusion. Leaders you know, lay out workable steps to help followers to go step by step down the track, down the path, if you will, to successful completion. Um, I think about the, 19, the 1800s and the railroad industry as it uh, expanded the continent of North America. Uh, you know, they, those tracks were laid every day and the train advanced a little bit every day. Now, the leaders knew the ultimate picture of where everything was going, and they, they knew that the, they could work with their followers just to lay a little more track each day and the train could progress uh, down the path. So, tracks. Followers need to know uh, the path we're on, how that path's going to be extended, and how we can keep moving steadily forward. And then they need tools. And tools mean they need the training, they need the, the, uh, the support, uh, they need the information that, they need that, that, that will help them to implement the change successfully. Tools can be things like training conferences, they can be things like consultants coming in, they can be things like experts who come in and, 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 and help chart the course. Um, and sometimes they, just the materials needed for the job. I think about if a church is going to launch, for example, a major new mission strategy. Well, you're going to need training for people to know how to travel and how to travel well and how to travel as a missionary. You're going to need training on missiology, about what to do when you get there. Uh, you're going to need uh, uh, some people to come in that are experts on volunteer missions and on short-term missions. 
you're going to need to hear from some missionaries who are going to be hosting you and what their expectations are and how they want the work to unfold. Um, it takes real training, focused effort with people coming in to get the work done to change a mission strategy or missions approach or program in a church. It's not just a matter of buying some plane tickets and going overseas and, quote, helping out. It's a matter of intentionally changing the way people think about travel, about missions, about missiology, and about missionary support. So that's the kind of tools you need to implement that kind of major change. So besides consistent communication and the resources to accomplish the change, uh, they all, followers also crave recognition for the sacrifices they're making for the mission. Now, um, this doesn't mean that followers are expecting expensive gifts or trips or cash remuneration, but what followers need is recognition, verbal recognition. Hey, you're on the right track. You're doing, the, you're doing a good job. I appreciate the sacrifices you're making. Um, they do occasionally need meaningful gifts to help them to recognize what they've done and to commemorate the achievement that they've accomplished. For example, uh, when we built the new campus of our church in Oregon, the pastor prepared these small vials of dirt with a, with, a, uh, uh, with a label on them that said, Time to Build. And they were inexpensive, but they were very meaningful because that was the watchword or the catchphrase of our campaign. It was the, 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 those three words, it's time, or four words, it's time to build. And so I still have that little vial of dirt in my office because it reminds me of a significant time in my life when I made a sacrifice to accomplish something that was dramatic and powerful and awesome and that has had ramifications now down through the last 15, 20 years. That little phrase, it's time to build, on that little vial of dirt reminds me of all that. So sometimes followers don't need extravagant gifts. They just need small things to help them remember what they're doing and why and the accomplishment they're achieving. So major change begins with direction from God. Second, it depends on initiative from a leader. But third, it is accomplished by the followers. If you can have those three steps as sort of foundational, then if you'll look in the book, you'll find the other three steps, which will help you to understand the full model of what it means to lead major change. Major change is possible, and it's the responsibility of leaders to initiate it when required to fulfill God's mission and particularly to align our organization or our church's mission with God's mission. Major change is difficult, but it can be done. It's part of the task we have as responsible Christian leaders. And so I hope the book helps. I hope these podcasts helps as we try to fulfill our responsibility of leading major change. And in doing so, we lead on.